Namaskaram. Today I'm going to be talking about verse 2 of Uludunapadu. This is a relatively simple verse. It, um, it, 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 it's a continuation of the previous verse. In, verse. in the previous verse, verse 1, what Bhagavan said is, because we see the world accepting one fundamental, that has a power that becomes many is certainly the one best option. The picture of names and forms, the one who sees, the cohesive screen and the pervading light, all these are he who is oneself. He who is oneself, that is Tanam Avan, he here refers to the one fundamental, that is all Mudal. Uh, Mudal means a something that is, uh, comes first or is fundamental. That is referring, well, he says, he says, Tanamavan, it is referring to ourself. That is, we ourselves are the one fundamental that has a power that becomes many. Um, Bhagavan isn't asserting that this is the case. He says, accepting that this is the case is the one best option. The reason it is the one best option is because, is because we see the world. How does our seeing the world lead to this, um, to this uh, conclusion that there's just one fundamental that has the power to become many? Because we who see are one. What we see is many. So, um, what we are, what what certainly exists is only ourself. That is everything that we see, everything that we perceive, could be just an illusion. It could it could be something other than what it seems to be, and that is the case. That is what Bhagavan says is the case. So, but the one thing that cannot be an illusion, but must actually exist. That is, all other things could be just an appearance. But the one thing that must actually exist is ourself. Because if we didn't exist, we couldn't be aware of anything. The fact that we exist, we, we're aware, is proof of our existence. We may not be what we seem to be, but we do certainly exist. Um, so since, it, since there's one who sees many, and the many appear in waking and dream, and they disappear in sleep. In sleep, what we are aware of is only one, ourself, nothing other than ourself. So uh, the one best option, according to Bhagavan, is to accept that there is just one fundamental that has a power to become many, and that fun one fundamental is ourself. So that's what he says in the first verse. But Though he says this is um, the one best option, it is obviously not the only option. People believe that have so many different beliefs. Not everyone believes that everything is only one. So um, in the second verse, he acknowledges that there are different points of view. Um, what he says in the, um, in the second verse is the first sentence is, that means uh, each uh, matam, matam we can loosely translate as religion, I'll explain a bit more afterwards, each matam um, first uh, accepts 
or first um, holds that there is um, that there are three fundamentals. What are those three fundamentals? He makes clear in um, in the Kalivemba version. Uluhu uh, Kartun Weir. Uluhu means world. Kartun means the doer. It re- that refers to God. Um, and Weir uh, means life or soul. It refers to Jiva. In other words, Jagger Jiva Shwara, the world, soul, and God. These are the three fundamentals that all religion, all matams accept. Matam is a word that for which there's no exact equivalent in English. Um, it doesn't exactly mean religion because the, the, the Western concept of religion is somewhat different to the Indian concept. Um, that is, Hinduism, according to the Western concept, is a religion. According to the Eastern understanding, the Indian understanding, what is called Hinduism is just a family of many different, many different matams, many different points of view. So every matam, it it to, to qualify as a matam, it, it it something must be a point of view. It must have a certain view, a certain teaching, a certain doctrine. But also matam implies not only belief but also um, also. Uh, a, a set of practices that is any, any matam um, uh, entails um, uh, not only a set of um, beliefs or teachings, but also certain practices, because a matam is, is not just a philosophy, it's a philosophy with a goal. The goal of all matam is moksha, liberation. Um, though there are diverse, different views of what is liberation? All, all are aiming for liberation. Some people object. No, um, Buddhism doesn't accept God. Jainism doesn't accept God. So many forms of Hinduism are not uh, theistic. So, uh, how can it be said that, that all uh, uh, accept or postulate three fundamentals? Even if they don't accept God, what all religions, all um, religious philosophies have in common, they all accept something beyond this material world. Um, if, if, you, if you don't accept anything beyond the material world, then you're just a materialist. You think only physical things exist, um, which is a very prevalent uh, philosophy in the Western world nowadays. It's uh, the majority of modern philosophers and uh, scientists basically hold that view. But um, physical things are, are what are fundamental. But according to any spiritual perspective, any, any spiritual philosophy, there is something beyond the material world. Um, whether you call that God or you call it uh, moksha or nirvana or whatever it is, the, the name doesn't matter. There is something, some reality beyond this world, beyond, beyond the appearance of this world. So it, in, from that perspective, Bhagavan says, each matam initially accepts or holds, but there are three fundamentals. Um, and, and generally those three fundamentals are what are called world, soul, and God. If you want to use some other word for God instead of God, 
it's something that is beyond this material world, um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the names don't matter. It's just the idea, but there is something beyond these things. And then he goes on in the next sentence to, to put two points of view. I mean, to, the, to they mention point two view, points of view, which is what he stated in the previous view. verse. Um, here he expresses it as that means one uh, fundamental alone stands as three fundamentals. In other words, these three, God, uh, world, soul, and God, are just in essence, in, in, in substance, they are just one fundamental. They, they, they are just appearances in the one. What actually exists is only one. It is the one that appears as a many. That is the Advaitic uh, perspective. But there are other uh, points of view, for instance, Dvaitins, or to some extent, the Shista Dvaitins. They say the three are always three. So that Bhagavan expresses by saying, Mummudalam Endrum Mummudale. That means the three fundamentals are always. Uh, uh, only three fundamentals. That is, they 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 are not one. They they are fundamentally different. According to Dvaita, they they are actually completely different. According to Vishista Dvaita, they are they are the same in some respects, but not in other respects. Um, whereas according to Dvaita, all three are just appearances. What is real is what what the source from which these three appear and into which they disappear. As Bhagavan says in the seventh paragraph of, um, of Nana, um, he says, he begins by saying, Yatatamai Uludu Atmasarupa Mondre. What actually exists is only Atmasarupa. Atmasarupa means the real nature of oneself. Swarupa means real nature. Atma means oneself. So Atma Swarupa is the real nature of oneself. So uh, that alone is what actually exists. So that is what he's referring to here as the one model, the one fundamental. And then in the, this um, seventh paragraph of Nana, he goes on to say, Jagajivishwaragal, Sipil Veli Pol Adil Karpanegal. The world, soul, and God are Karpane uh, in it, um, like, uh, like the silver in a shell. Um, Karpane means their fabrication, mental creations, illusory appearances. Um, and then he goes on to say, Ive Mundrum Ekakalatil Tondru Ekakalatil. Marikindrana. These three appearing simultaneously disappear simultaneously. And then he concludes by saying, Sarupame Jagam. Swarupa, one's own real nature, alone is the world. Swarupa alone is I. Swarupa may nan. Swarupa alone is I. Swarupa may Ishwaran. Swarupa alone is God. So what appears as all these three is only Swarupa, is only our own real nature. Elam Shiva Swarupamam. All is only Shiva Swarupa. That is, Swarupa, our own real nature, is what is also called Shiva. And that alone is, that is the only thing that actually exists. 
and so everything that appears to exist is only that. So this here, Bhagavan is clearly stating the, the, the point of view um, that he refers to in this verse as um, uh, it's that one fundamental alone that appears as these three fundamentals. But so long as we see this world, in this world we see so many people, and there are so many different points of view. Some people are not even ready to accept that there's anything beyond this world. The world alone exists, the material universe alone exists, according to some. Even consciousness is a, an illusion, they try to argue. Um, so there are so many different points of view. But the purpose of Uludunapadu is not just to give another point of view so that we can argue with uh, all the other points of view. Bhagavan is not at all for arguing with others. People believe what they want to believe. They believe what is appropriate for them at their level of maturity. So we are not here to quarrel with others. So what, what he says in the second sentence of this verse, he expresses these two points of view. Uh, one fundamental alone uh, stands as three fundamentals, or three fundamentals are always three fundamentals. Saying thus, or arguing thus, ahankaram irukum mate, is, is only so long as ego exists. That is, we can get in quarrels about Dvaita, um, uh, Dvaita, Vashista Dvaita, Advaita, all the numerous different types of philosophies, material, uh, that is, physicalism, um, um, dualism, idealism. There's so many different po uh, metaphysical points of view um, people hold. We can... They, if we want to get engaged in arguments about this, there's no end to it. Because nobody, however reasonable the arguments you give, everyone believes what they want to believe. So they'll find some argument that in their view justifies their point of view. So Bhagavan never, um, was never in favor of arguing with others. When sometimes people used to come to argue with Bhagavan. Generally, he would keep quiet because there's no point. Bhagavan said, if you try to defeat someone in argument, you won't really convince them. They'll just go away resenting that they couldn't uh, win the argument. If they want to have their point of view, fine, let them have their point of view. And also, as it is said in Gita, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, one shouldn't uh, disturb the beliefs of those who are attached to karmas. That is, different people are attached to different points of view, which is suitable for them. It's not for us to go and, um, and argue against other points of view, put down other uh, perspectives. So he concludes this verse what, what, by indicating what is the real purpose of Uludhanapurana, of all his teachings. Yan Ketu Tanileil nitral talai. Yan ketu means I perishing. I mean, ego dying. Tanileil uh, in one's own state or in the state of oneself. Nitral, standing or abiding or being in one's own state. Talai. Talai means, talai literally means head. That is the best. That is the, the, the best option of all is not to quarrel with others. 
if you if we accept what Bhagavan is teaching us here in Uludanapatu, for example, if we accept what he says in the previous verses, the one best option, but the three fundamental but that but there's one fundamental but has a power but appears as many. It's not the fund one fundamental that becomes many. Uh, uh, well, that power becomes many. So the one fundamental seems to be many, but the one fundamental is always fun one fundamental, as he says. Uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, Nama Uru Chitramam, the picture of names and forms, that's a whole world appearance, all, all phenomena, all objects. Uh, uh, Papanam, the seer, that's the subject, namely ego. Um, Serpadamum, uh, that means the uh, cohesive screen, the screen on which all these appear. Uh, just like in a, he, he's referring to the analogy, but he often referred to the cinema analogy. This world, he said, is just a projection of our vasanas. And the screen on which it's projected is only ourself. Um, the reason he calls it serpadamum, the cohesive screen, if you if you have a cinema projector and you try and project it, say, on a tree, you won't get a clear image because the tree doesn't isn't all held together. I mean, it's not just one continuous screen. There are so many thousands of leaves and branches are making up the tree. So there, there's no cohesive screen on which the picture could appear. So in the background, there's something that holds all these things together. That one thing that holds all these things together, it's a, a fundamental awareness I am. And none of these things could appear except in a light. That light by which all these things appear, that is also the same fundamental awareness I am. Therefore, he says, anateum, uh, all these, Tanam uh, Aban, he who is oneself. They all this one fundamental. This is Bhagavan's point of view. But this is not for quality. If we accept this, then what should we what should we do? We shouldn't go out and quarrel with others because that shows a failure to understand what the real meaning of this teaching. Since only one thing actually exists. If we are really convinced that that one thing actually exists, we should just remain, and that one thing is only ourselves. we should just be as we actually are. All this multiplicity appears because we've risen as I, as ego, and are consequently seeing all this multiplicity. As soon as we rise as ego, multiplicity uh, appears. If we don't rise as ego as in sleep, no multiplicity appears. So there's no scope for argument if we remain in our real state, having annihilated ego. This term he uses here, tan nileil, tan nile means, uh, tan means, uh, um, means uh, one, tan, tan means oneself, uh, tan means one's own or of oneself. So uh, tan nile means the state of oneself or one's own state. This is a term he uses in three places in Uludunapdu, and in all three places, he connects it with annihilation of ego. Here in verse um, two, he says, Yang Ketu, I perishing, Tanileil Nitral Talai. So the condition for standing in our real state, for remaining in our real state, is the destruction of ego. 
he implies here, exactly the same in two other places. In, um, in verse 14, he says, Tanmayundel munile padekegel tam ulabam. If um, if the first person exists, second and third persons will exist. The first person means ego, the I that is aware of all other things. Um, second and third persons are all, all everything other than ego, all, all phenomena, all objects are second and third persons. The first person is ego, the subject. So if the first person exists, second and third persons will exist. This is something Bhagavan often said. He says the same in Nana. Why is that? Because the first person is the subject. The second and third persons are objects. Objects seem to exist only in the view of the subject. So without the, without the subject, there can be no objects. So uh, it's only, and whenever we rise as ego, we are, we, we, I, we limit ourselves as a body, as a form of a body, and consequently we see so many other forms. So it is the rising of ego that creates the appearance of the first person and, on one hand, the subject and objects, uh, second and third persons. So if the first person exists, second and third persons exist, uh, will exist. Tanmayin unmeye tan aindu. Tanmay arin. If one knows, if, sorry, if oneself investigating the reality of the first person, the first person ceases to exist. That is, tanmayin uh, unmaye means the reality of the first person. Tan aindu means oneself investigating the reality of the first person. Tanmayarin, uh, if the first person ceases to exist, munile padekke. Uh, 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 second and third persons coming to an end. Ondrai olirum tan meye tan nile mei tan. In the, the first two cases where he uses the word tan mei in this um, in this verse, he's referring to the first person, the ego. Tan mei literally means selfness. So the, the, the ego is referred to as tammai, as the first person. But here in this uh, final clause, he uses the word tanmay in a different sense. Tanmay also means uh, nature. It implies our real nature in this context. So ondrai olirum tanmaye means one's real nature, which shines as one. It's, it, in the view of the first person, ego, there seem to be so many, but when we, when ego is destroyed by one's investigating the reality of ego, second and third persons will also come to an end, and what will then remain shining as one, that is our real nature, that tanmaya, that tanmaya is referring to our real nature, tan nile mei tan, that alone is oneself, uh, the, um, the nature that shines alone is uh, oneself, tan, tan nile mei, the state of oneself. So here he's using this word tan nile mei. Tan nile mei and tan nile mean the same. They both mean the state of oneself. As in verse two, he's, it's, we, 
but, but this uh, our own state shines when ego is destroyed. Is the implication here, as it was implied in the um, in the second verse. And likewise, in verse 27, he again uses this word tannile. Um, what he says in verse 27 is, nan udia ullanile, namaduvai ullanile. That means the state in which, uh, in which one exists without eye rising or without Yes, that's a literal meaning, without I rising, or I not rising, the state in which one is or exists. Namaduam uh, ulanile, uh, um, that is the state in which we exist as that. So the, the Vedas say, you are that. How to experience that state in which we are that? It is the state in which we don't rise as ego. In the state in which we just be without rising as I, that is the state in which we are that. How to, how to achieve that state in which um, I does not rise? He says in the second sentence, nan udikum tanum adei nadamal, without or, or not investigating the place from which I rises, nan udia tan irepe. Savdu uh, Evan, how to uh, how to reach the destruction of oneself in which I does not rise. This is a very very important sentence and a very deep sentence. What he means by investigating the place where I rises, the place from which I rises, the source. In other words, the source from which I rises. He's not talking. He's using word place here in a metaphorical sense. The term he uses here for place is tanam, which is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word stana. He often uses, in this context, uses the word idam, which is a Tamil word that means place. So the place from which I rise, where, where, from where can I rise? It can only rise from that which exists in the absence of I. As he says in, in the previous verse of Uludunapadu, verse 26, Ahande undayan anetum undahum, ahande indrail indru anetum. If I rise, if I comes into existence, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego does not exist, everything does not exist. Ego itself is everything. So um, in the absence of ego, nothing else exists. Nothing else means no phenomena, no objects. What exists in the absence of ego is only ourself, our real nature. We, we know this from our experience in sleep. In sleep every day, ego subsides, everything else disappears along with it. And what then remains is only that fundamental awareness I am, which is what we actually are. So that is the tannile. And to uh, abide, to stand in that state, in other words, to be firmly established in that state, it, we can be firmly established in it only by bringing about the destruction of I, of this rising I. Um, uh, that the tan irape means the destruction of oneself. Nanodia means in which in which I does not rise, and we can we can um, 
we can um, reach that state of, of self-destruction in which I does not rise only by investigating the source from which we have risen. The source from which we have risen is our own real nature, that fundamental awareness I am. So by investigating that fundamental awareness I am, we thereby bring about the destruction of, of uh, ourself as ego. So I doesn't rise. So that's how we reach that state. And then in the next sentence, he says, um, Saramo, without reaching, Tan Aduam Tan Nileil Nipadu Eban. That means um, without reaching, implying without reaching that state of destruction of ourself, how to stand in the state of oneself, in which oneself is that? So in order to be in our own state, our tannile, which is the state in which we are that, we need to cease rising as ego. We need to permanently cease rising as ego, which we can achieve only by annihilating ourselves. And we can annihilate ourselves only by investigating the source from which we've risen. So as I say, in all these three verses, in verses 2, 14, and 27, Bhagavan uses the same uh, term, tannile, and in all three verses, he implies that we can be in our own state, our natural state, the state of ourself, only by yang uh, ketu, uh, I dying, or in this case, he says, nanudia uh, tanirepe, uh, um, uh, reaching the destruction of oneself in which I does not rise. And in that uh, verse 14, he talks about the, um, when one investigates the reality of the first person. What he refers to there as the reality of the first person is what he refers to here as the place from which I rises. That is, from where does the illusory snake rise? It rises only from the rope. The rope is both the reality or the substance of the snake and the source. So our, our source is our own substance. We, that is what we actually are, is the source from which we've risen as ego, and it's what we always actually are, because it is our own substance. Uh, so whether we call it the reality of ego or the source from which ego rises, it's the same thing. Here he refers to it as the place from which ego I rises, there in verse 14, he refers to it as the reality of the first person. It amounts to the same thing. So in all these three cases, he is talking about being in one's own state, and we can be in our one's own state, in our own state, only by the destruction of I. So here in this second verse, in the first verse, he clearly makes he makes clear what is the subject of this verse, what of this work, Uludunapadu. It's about that one fundamental. Um, and why we conclude that one fundamental? Because we see the world. We can from that we can infer that there is just one fundamental. And but what is the benefit of inferring that there is one fundamental to understand but what what makes all this multiplicity appear is only our rising as I. So in order to experience ourselves as that one fundamental, which is onjayolirum uh, tanmaye, but it, uh, it shines as one. It doesn't shine as, as, as all this multiplicity. So in order to experience that, the means is 
Jan Ketu, I must die. And as he goes on to make clear in so many other verses of Ulutnaptu, I will die only by investigating itself or investigating its own reality, the source from which it has risen. So, um, Bhagavan, as I say, in the first verse, he's pointing out what is the ultimate reality. In the second verse, how he's indirectly implying how to experience that. In the previous verse, he said, Tanamaban, that one muddle, he, that one muddle, is oneself. So, in order to experience ourselves as that, we must be in our own state, our tannile, the state of ourself as we actually are. And to be in that state, I must die. So, rather than rising to quarrel with others about, or, or even to discuss this, there's no point in even discussing this. It's okay to discuss this with like-minded people, people who are interested in Bhagavan's teachings. But if people are not interested, if they're not, if they're not seeking to know this, there's no point in talking about Bhagavan's teachings to those who are not interested. Bhagavan's teachings are for everyone when they are ready for it. He says in verse 17 of Rupadesh Undia, Markam Ner Akum Idundipara. This is the direct path for anyone whomsoever. But obviously, we will take to the direct path only when we are drawn to it. There's no point in telling people this is the direct path when they are not even seeking the goal that that direct path leads to. The direct path leads to ourself. So investigating ourself is the direct path to be ourself. Um, but those who are interested in rising as ego and experiencing so many things in this world, no point in telling them about the direct means to cease rising as ego and remain as they actually are. So the, the Bhagavan's teachings are not for um, are not for preaching or not for um, arguing with others. Bhagavan's teachings are, are all about practice. The practice, simple practice he's taught us is to turn within and thereby investigate the, the reality of this I. When we investigate the reality of this I and investigate and know the reality of I, I will thereby die. That is, ego, as, a, as a separate entity, it will die and it will remain as it really is, which is uh, that fundamental awareness I am. So here Bhagavan is clearly indicating what is the, what is the purpose of this work. The purpose of this work is annihilation of ego and nothing other than that. In the next verse also, he, he, um, he points out that in arguing, disputing about different philosophies, different points of view, is not appropriate for one who is following his path. So we are not here to quarrel or dispute with others. We are here to turn within and to annihilate ego. That is what his teachings are all about. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya. Thank you, Michael. Um, while I wait for the questions, Michael, so um, uh, some of the comments you mentioned they reminded me of a couple of verses in Bhagavad Gita. I don't remember the exact verse number, um, but in one, Krishna says that um, you're not supposed to talk about my teachings to anyone. Um, you know, 
pretty much anyone on the street. Yeah, um, yeah. And then in, in the very next verse, he goes on to say, uh, however, if someone with interest asks about it, then you're duty-bound to answer him. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> for so, our benefit as much as for their benefit, because the more exactly. we, I mean, we when we talk about Bhagavan's teachings, we are the first one to be benefited because we're keeping our mind dwelling on his teachings, on the need to turn within, which is what his teachings are all about. Right. Um, but in our enthusiasm, we shouldn't be going and telling people who are not interested. Right. Um, and, and, and also, um, we don't want to be seen, you know, we don't want to be correcting other people, you know, thinking that this is the way to do things. Yes. I mean, everyone is following the path that is suited to them. Bhagavan, who is guiding us, who has brought us to his path, he is guiding everyone in the appropriate way at their own level. So we are not to interfere in his work. Let him guide everyone. He knows how, how has he brought us to his path. That is the greatest miracle of all. If he can bring even us to his path, he, he can easily bring others to, to his path. But he is infinitely patient. Poromayam Buddha. He is the, the hill of patience, as he beautifully describes in that Kshara So he, he has infinite patience. So he will unfailingly bring everyone to his path. And those who have entered his path, he will bring us to the final goal of the dissolution of I. But he doesn't, he, he never forces things. He lets things go on at, our, at their own pace. He is a very patient gardener. He sows the seed and he nurtures it, takes care of it, but he patiently waits for it to grow into a full-grown uh, uh, plant that bears fruit, the fruit of moksha, the fruit of annihilation of ego. That's right. Well said. Thank you, Michael. Um, so, Kamari, go ahead, please. Yes, I have a question because you talked about the razor's edge um, as it being um, not going to Manolea. Yes. And yes. also, um, but what I don't understand is that um, you also said that uh, it shouldn't be a negative path in the sense like that it shouldn't be not paying attention to other things, but more paying attention to ourself. Yes, that is, if you try not to attend to other things, you are indirectly attending to those things. I mustn't think this thought. Mm -hmm. uh, Saruam used to give an example. If a, if a doctor gives you a medicine and say, if you take this, when, when you take this medicine, do not think of a monkey. Every time you want to take the medicine, you'll remember the doctor's instruction. I shouldn't think of a monkey. You, can't, you will never be able to take the medicine because every time you want to take it, you think of a monkey. A wise doctor won't tell you, don't think of a monkey. A wise doctor will say, whenever you take this, this medicine, think of an elephant. If you're thinking of an elephant, then your mind is taken away from the thought of a monkey. Likewise, Bhagavan tells us, don't do neti neti. Bhagavan doesn't ask us to reject all these things. He, he doesn't even ask us to bother about thoughts. In the sixth paragraph of Nana, he says, 
However many thoughts rise, so what? So he's not asking us to reject thought. He asks us to do one thing and one thing alone. Hold on to I. To the extent to which we hold on to I, we are thereby letting go of other things. And the thoughts don't come and hold us. The thoughts appear because we hold them. Mm -hmm. So th this, this is a positive path. We're holding on to I. By holding on to I, we are remaining balanced on the razor's edge. We are not allowing our attention to slip away into thoughts, and we're not allowing ourselves to uh, merge back into layer because we're holding on to the original light that shines throughout all states. So this is how we remain balanced uh, between these two, uh, uh, that is avoiding both layer on the one hand and thinking about other things on the other hand, by, simply by holding on to I. So this is the true samadhi. Some, one, of the, one of the meanings of samadhi or one of their interpretations of samadhi may not be the original etymology, but samadhi means samadhi. Sama means balance, in equilibrium. So the mind is in equilibrium, balancing on that razor's edge without uh, slipping one side into layer or the other side into thought. It remains balanced in tannile. In, the, in our own state of just being as we actually are. Okay. Yeah, I had misunderstood the razor's edge. I thought it was a little bit of manolea of, and a little bit of, I don't know. No, it, 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 it is, it's a very, very fine, fine, um, fine uh, dividing line between thought and manolea. See, mm -hmm. when we fall asleep, one moment we're, 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 we're still holding on to thoughts. Next moment we let go of thoughts and we immediately go into Manolé, into sleep. So we need to try to remain balanced between waking and sleep. Mm -hmm. Yes. That, that is the razor's edge. Yes, yes. And um, actually, is there a difference? Like if we slept forever and... Samadhi, like... <laughs> no, uh, that is what is called moksha or churiya, the fourth, that is eternal sleep. Mm -hmm. Even now we are in eternal sleep, but we don't recognize that we're in eternal sleep because we're not looking at ourselves, we're looking outside. So we overlook the fact that we are eternally asleep. Mm -hmm. The difference between... Sleep is a state of manolaya. The difference between any state of manolaya and manonasa is that we, um, as Bhagavan says in verse uh, 13 of Upadesha Undia, that which has gone in layer will rise again. That which has, if its form dies in nasa, it will not rise again. So the only difference between layer and nasa is we come out of layer and we never come out of nasa. But from whose perspective is this difference? It's only from the perspective of the mind in waking and dream. Now we say, I've come out of layer, but that is false. We have never come out. If we investigate ourselves, we will find that we are always that churia. We are never anything other than that. We, ne we never come out of it. Mm -hmm. But 
so long as we're looking outwards, we seem to have come out of that. So we say, oh, this sleep, state of sleep is just manolaya. This kevala nivikalpa samadhi is just manolaya because we come out of it. So how to go into that state in such a way that we will never come out of it? Only by annihilating ego. That is, we, we, we slip into manolaya. We slip into sleep because we're tired. We slip into coma because we have a head injury. We slip into Kevala Nivikalpa Samadhi because we are forcibly controlling the mind by means of pranayama and other yoga exercises. All these, all, all states of Manolaya, they are caused by, they are brought about by something other than self-attentiveness. If we bring about the dissolution of ego by self-attentiveness, then it will never rise again. That's why Bhagavan says in the next verse in Upadesha India, verse 14, the mind which, which, which is, becomes quiescent by, by controlling the breath, if that mind, obviously before it, before it subsides completely in layer, if you send the mind, oh, he says only if you send the mind on the one path, the path of knowing, the path of investigating, will its form die. What he refers to there is all vari. Om is a, a Tamil verb that means uh, to investigate or to know. So all vari means the path of investigating or path of knowing. In other words, Bhagavan path of Atmavichara. Or it can also mean the one path. But what is the one path that will bring about the destruction of ego? Only this path of investigation. So whichever way we interpret it, he's talking only about this path of self-investigation. And he says, um, uh, I'll get the verse and say exactly what, how he expresses it. Vidyakave or vari, he says, if, if you send the mind um, on the... Um, Odaka valiye odungum ulate, the mind that will uh, subside or, or, or become quiescent by restraining the breath, if that mind ulate vidakave or vari, if it is sent or dispatched or yeah, sent on the, the one path or the path of investigating, viam, and he said vidakave only if it is sent on that or only when it is sent on that. Viam Adan Uru, its form will die. So its form will perish or die only if it is sent on this path of self-investigation. As he also implies in that verse I was talking about earlier, verse 27 of um, Uludunapadu, he says, Tan Udikum Tanam Adainadamal, without investigating the place where I rise is. Nan udia tan sabdu evan. How how to or who can reach? Um, uh, or how how it means here evan. Uh, how to reach the uh, the destruction of oneself in which I does not rise. In other words, it's only by investigating ourselves that we can bring about not just manolaya but manonasa, the permanent destruction of ourselves. So this is what is so special about Bhagavan's path. Bhagavan has 
Firstly, he's diagnosed what is the root cause of the whole problem. It is only ego. And how to deal with this ego? We seem to be ego only so long as we're looking at other things. So in order to bring about the destruction of ego, we need to look at ourselves to see who am I. Once we know what we actually are, we can never again mistake ourselves to be anything else. So ego, uh, we can attain the destruction of ourselves in which we will never again rise as ego only by knowing ourselves as we actually are. And we can know ourselves as we actually are only by attending to ourselves. So it's so simple, so logical. And, um, and um, you know, when he says uh, um, when there is no thought and you said thought is not just a mental chatter. Yes. So it, it's also not being aware of anything else. Like Ego is itself a thought. So how can ego ever be without thought? Mm -hmm. As he says, e ego can never stand without grasping something gross. So all the gross things it grasps are thought. All thoughts depend on ego because they all appear only in the view of ego. But ego depends on thoughts because it's only by grasping thoughts that it, uh, that it, can, that it comes into existence, stands and flourishes, as he says in verse 25. Grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on forms. All forms are thoughts. Everything other than the fundamental awareness I am is a thought. So in these moments when we don't have any, men like any mental chatter, language in, yeah. in the head, that's not it. That's not it. No, no. When... We That is, we, so long as we are aware of anything we were not aware of in sleep, mm. we, we, we are still not in our own state. Because so long as we're aware of anything, however subtle it may be, mm. if we're aware of the passing of time or anything, anything other than I am, if we're aware of, we are not in that state. When we're aware of I am alone, That is the state of pure awareness. As soon as we as ego experience ourselves with pure awareness, we cease to be ego. But ego yeah. is what? Ego is the impure awareness. I am this body. So how to destroy ego? Only by when ego experiences itself as pure awareness. This is why... Other means of going into Manolaya result only in Manolaya because uh, they, they, in Manolaya, pure awareness alone remains. But e, the pure awareness remains as a result of the subsidence of ego. We need to bring about the subsidence of ego as a result of experiencing ourselves as pure awareness. Okay. Okay. And we can experience ourselves with pure awareness only by attending to ourselves. So, in order to annihilate ego, ego must be present. You've got, if a, if a, if a, a criminal is sentenced, to, uh, if a death sentence is passed on a criminal, but if a criminal has gone AWOL somewhere, he's gone absent somewhere, his whereabouts are not known, he cannot be executed. 
In order to execute him, he has to be present. So ego must be present in order to be annihilated. So it is ego itself that must know itself as pure awareness. But mm. ego can never know itself as pure awareness because as soon as it knows itself as pure awareness, it ceases to be ego. And so thought for Bhagavan is... Anything other than I am. Okay. The first thought is ego. Everything known by ego is just a thought. But though ego is the first thought, it's a thought unlike all other thoughts, because all other thoughts are jada. They are objects. They're things known by us. They don't know themselves. Mm. The only thought that is endowed with awareness is ego, because it is chit jada granti. It is a conflated mixture of chit, the pure awareness I am, and jada, this, this uh, non-aware body. When these two are conflated together, that conflated mixture is what is called ego. Mm. And that's what it gives, like, how to say, like color or something to, to objects. It's the ego. Yes, yes. Otherwise, without, as, as Bhagavan says in verse 4 of Uludunapadu, Uruvam Tanayin Uluhu Paramatran, if oneself is a form, the world and God will be, will be likewise. It's because we limit ourselves as the form of this body, but we're aware of all other forms. And then he goes on to say, if oneself is not a form, who can see their forms and how? So, and then he, go, he gives a very nice principle, Kannalal Kakshiondo. That literally means um, uh, uh, without the eye, is there anything seen? But that is not what Bhagavan means. He means something much deeper. Often he says very simple things, but it has a deeper meaning than a surface meaning. What he, how he explained that is, can what is seen be otherwise or of a different nature to what sees? Yes. Yeah. So, so long as we experience ourselves as a form, we see only forms. When we experience ourselves as formless, as we actually are, we will experience only formlessness. Forms are all finite. So long as we, we limit ourselves as a form, we are finite and we can see only finite things. When we, when we don't limit ourselves as a form, we are infinite. So we can see only infinite. What is infinite is only ourselves, so we see only ourselves. And at the beginning, that's why like, we don't recognize anything as ourself, any object as ourself. Well, we first, we first, no, we start off recognizing. Yeah, I mean, when mis, we start mis, misrecognizing this object, this body as ourselves. When we and, start on the path. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. First, we have to first we have to distinguish ourselves from all objects. Mm -hmm. This is called drikdrisya bibika. We are distinguishing the seer from the seen, the subject mm -hmm. from the objects. That is necessary, but that is that is just first we have to analytically recognize the difference between the subject and the object. Mm -hmm. Why? Because our aim is to investigate only the subject. So long as we mistake ourselves to be any object, we'll be investigating the wrong thing. So it's necessary to first 
have a clear conceptual understanding, but we are, we are, we are not any object. We have a subject, that which is aware of all objects. That is not the final truth. The final truth is not that we are of a subject. But first we need to recognize that we have a subject. Then when we investigate the subject, that is ego, it will subside and disappear. Because the subject is a uruvatrapeyahande, a, 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 a formless phantom or formless demon, Bhagavan calls it in verse 25. So it has no form of its own. So when it... And it cannot, it cannot, it cannot rise or stand without grasping form. So when it tries to grasp itself, by grasping itself, it lets go of everything else. It subsides back into its source. Yeah, that's the first verse of Ula, Ulu, Uladuna part. That's verse twenty-five. Okay, but it's also this, this, um, the fact that we must recognize a subject. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He hints at that even in the very first clause of the first verse, because we see the world. Yeah. So he's pointing out the distinction as the world. All objects constitute the world. The world means not only the physical world. In, in verse 6 of Arunachashtakam, he says, all these thoughts are seen as a world inside and outside. That is the external world of physical phenomena, and the internal world of mental phenomena, thoughts, feelings, perceptions, memories, likes, dislikes, all these things, that, that's a little, a little internal world. Both these worlds exist in whose view? Only in the view of ego, the subject. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because so all these worlds, both these worlds exist only of objects. All the thoughts, feelings, memories, perceptions, likes, dislikes, and so on, they're all known by us, so they're objects. So he comes to our level to help us. Exactly. Yeah. Because his level is a jata. There's no, for him, there's no world at all. But he kindly comes down to our level and says, because we see the world as if he is seeing the world. Yes, yes, yes. It's so it's so practical. Because, it's you know, so if practical. Someone just yeah. tells you like, yes, it, yes. like there's no world. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ajata is a Bhagavan said. Ajata is the ultimate truth, but it is not a teaching, because in ajata there's no one to teach and there's no one to be taught and there's nothing to teach. So we are. He he gives us prior information that the ultimate truth is ajata, but the teaching. Is only drishti shrishti bada. Mm -hmm. That is the, 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 the everything that is seen depends on the seer. So, in order to know the truth, we cannot know the truth of what is seen without knowing the truth of the seer. And if we know the truth, the reality of the seer, if what if one investigates the truth, if one knows oneself by investigating the reality of the first person, the first person will cease to exist and second and third persons will cease to exist, as mm -hmm. he says in verse 14. So, so he's emphasizing the same thing. In, he's saying the same thing in so many different ways, but it's the same thing he's saying throughout Uludunapdu, throughout Nana, throughout all his teachings. And so then we will know the reality of objects. Yes, yes. Because we alone have a reality of objects. As he says in the first verse, 
the, the picture of names and forms, the seer, the, the cohesive screen, and the pervading light, all are only he. So first, Who is ourselves. So first, we need to see that we're not any objects. Yes. And then we'll see that the objects then are... Then we investigate the subject, and then we'll find we're not even the subject. Mm. But we can, we, can, we can experience ourselves as not the subject only by investigating the subject. Merely understanding, or oh, I am not the subject, is of no use because we are the subject. So long as we're seeing objects, we are, for all intents and purposes, we are the subject. So we first need to make, we first need to analyze and recognize that we are not anything seen, we are the seer. Then we investigate the seer, the seer disappears, and the fundamental awareness I am alone remains. But what I don't understand is that, so we're both not the objects, but also the objects are us. The, the objects are nothing other than us. In, in a dream, so long as you're dreaming, there seems to be a world out there with so many people. When you wake up, where is that world and where are those people? What you were seeing as that world is nothing but yourself. You were seeing yourself as that world, as that dream world. But so, so long as you were seeing yourself as that dream world, you weren't experiencing yourself as you actually are. So when yeah. you know yourself as you actually are, then you will know none of these things exist independent of you. Yes. Okay. But, and they don't exist. They don't or... exist at all. They, they, they are mere appearances, but even their semi-existent depends upon the semi-existence of ego. And the semi-existence of ego depends upon the real existence of ourselves. That is why he said ego is not only formless, it has no form of its own, it's also a phantom. It's got no substance of its own. It borrows its substance, satchit, its existence and its awareness from satchit. It borrows its form from a body. But it itself is neither the form nor is it satchit. Mm -hmm. It is a spurious entity. But when it investigates itself, it's not investigating its form, uh, the body that it takes to be itself. It's investigating its substance. So it merges back into the substance and remains as that substance alone. The substance, the poral or vastu, that is satchit. Mm -hmm. That is what is always shining as I am. And as a starting point, can we, like, you know, try to look or the sense of I in me, like... Yes, what yes, yes. But there is only one I. So what we are now mistaking to be ego is actually just that pure awareness. If you, that's why investigating ego unfailingly leads us to knowledge of ourselves as we actually are. Mm -hmm. If you see a rope and mistake it to be a snake, Bhagavan will say, look at it very carefully. Whether you, if you ask Bhagavan, what am I to look at? Am I to look at the ego of a, at, at the rope of a snake? Bhagavan will say, look at the snake. Because if you look at the snake, you'll see it's only a rope. Mm -hmm. The very fact you ask the question 
I might look at the ego of, I might look at the rope of a snake, means you're still taking them to be two things. So mm-hmm. that's why Bhagavan so often said, investigate ego, hold on to the I thought. Mm-hmm. But the deeper meaning of that is, hold on to what you actually are. Mm. Okay, yes. okay. Very beautiful. If you it's look so at the cool. snake carefully, you'll see it's only a rope. And so, and so whether when you start off to look at it carefully, whether you're ready to recognize, whether you're ready to accept, but what you're looking at is actually a rope, or you refuse to accept it, doesn't matter. Just look at it carefully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and naturally, we sort of lose, like we lose identification with the body. Like it seems that everything that we perceive is more far away or is more like... Exactly, exactly. That is, the body is not holding on to us. We are holding on to the body. So when we hold on to ourselves, we are thereby letting go of the body. That's why by by merely investigating this ego, we let... That's why Bhagavan says in verse 26, therefore, investigating what this is, what this means ego, what this is, is giving up everything. Because the more we hold on to I am, the more we're letting go of everything else. And nothing else is holding on to us. We are holding on to it. So yes. when we hold on to ourselves, everything else drops off automatically. Yes. Yes, he said, uh, he said that when people were complaining about their wives or their mothers, he said, like, yes. you're holding on to them. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Thank you. So what Bhagavan, when we think about these things, what Bhagavan has taught us is so, so simple. But then we have to recognize one other thing. When it is so simple, what can be easier than holding on to I? Nothing can be easier than that. But it seems to us to be difficult. Why does it seem to be difficult? Because we lack the love. That is why Bhagavan said, Bhakti is the mother of jnana. Love is the key to success in this path. If we could love him as much as he loves us. Yes, yes, yes. Whatever little love we have for him is, is love that he has given us. And it's an it's a, it's a infinitesimal fraction of the infinite love that he has for us as himself. So if we want to love him as he loves us, we must be willing to give ourselves wholly to him. So love is both the means and the goal. Mm. Melt me as love in you, the form of love. So we must be willing to give ourselves wholly to him. Then only he'll melt us. So long as we want to hold on to our separate individuality, he's not, he, of course, he's, he's always drawing us deeper and deeper within, but he's, he won't force this upon us. That's why he says, Aininum Guru Katiya Varipari Tabaradu Nadakabendam. At the conclusion of the 12th paragraph of Nana, nevertheless, uh, 
it is it, it nevertheless it is necessary to follow without fail the path shown by guru because we our willingness is necessary if we are not willing he will never force it on us so we must be he will take complete charge of us if we give if we hand over charge to him but so long as we are retaining charge of ourselves he won't take charge of us he's ready to at any moment but we must be willing to give ourselves to him guru bhakti automatically leads to swatma bhakti automatically what is swatma swatma is swa means one's own atma means self one's own self love for one's own self so love for guru automatically leads to love to attend to one's own self what is called swatma bhakti is another another name for uh, what bhagavan often referred to as sat vasana the inclination to be or the inclination to seek happiness in our being instead of seeking happiness in all the other things the vishayas but we usually seek happiness in right um, and during uh, this questioning um, mari said she's confused because the objects are different from us but then they are a part of us um so i think uh, uh these are very well addressed in the first um 100 verses or so of guru vashakovi where he first um says how the world has to be considered as unreal but then after some time you know when as we are absorbed more and more in the self then we come to consider the world as none different than us but that's a, a lateral evolution in our perception yeah that that change in perception will come about only to the extent to which we turn within right so we have Pretty. to reject everything as not ourself rejecting everything as not ourself means we let go of it and hold on to ourself and then only we will find that everything is nothing other than ourself இப்படி பலக பலக மடத்திற்கு தன் பிறப்பிடத்தில் தங்கி நிற்கும் சக்தி அதை இருக்கும் thank you um shohan you want to do you have a comment or a question go ahead please yes uh, actually i had both uh, namaste michael namaste um i really find your um way of dispersing this uh, truly amazing knowledge to be very soothing coming it's like a it's like a blue flame of peace uh but today i felt the heat and my heart got pumping lot <laughs> um so uh, and i i thought uh, mary's questions also was were very beautiful um especially uh, about the uh, sleeping forever to me that was a little scary at first but then i realized i've never really tasted uh, that deep sleep that's why um 
But uh, one thing really... when you are that even now, we we seem to be not aware of it because we're not looking at ourselves. If we look at ourselves carefully enough, we will find that we are eternally in sleep. Thank you, Amika. So that part where you said, so when the ego rises, there must be something there from which it has to rise from, right? Yes. So it's like it's like the basketball needs the concrete court to bounce off of, right? Yes. Now, does this mean that right at the moment of the bounce, um, when, when the ego, the self, everything comes together, if the attention goes to the ball, then it will stay in the ball. And then that eventually means that some people will never get this, will never understand this message of Bhagavan's. No. Uh, ultimately, we all have to understand it. Bhagavan says in the final verse of Varanacha Ashtakam, just like the, cloud, the, the, the water vapor that is evaporated from the ocean cannot find rest until it returns to the ocean. It will fall on the hills. It will flow down in streams and rivers. It will get caught in reservoirs. It may even be evaporated again. But eventually, for permanent rest, it will find only when it returns to the ocean. And likewise, the, the birds that are flying in the sky, wherever they may fly, there is no place of rest for them until they return to this earth. Likewise, all the uh, embodied jivas will cannot find rest until they return to you. So ultimately, we all have to return to him. Because the truth is, we have never actually left him. He is, uh, he is you, you said the, the, the concrete uh, uh, floor in the basketball. That is the ajishtana, the adhara, the basis, the ground. The ground from which ego rises, ego and everything else rises, is our own real nature. We are the ground. We are the source from which we have risen. That is why pure awareness is not only That's our source, beautiful. it's also our substance. It's what we actually are. Um, another, um, so, yeah, that's very assuring. Thank you. Um, another thing, Michael, is since it's, you said it's all made of the same substance, right? Yes. So when we look at the ego substance, mm. um, we are getting confused because we're just stuck at that level. The ego substance is the only substance there is. The substance of ego is I am. There's substance and there's form. The substance is I am. The form is what we take us, whatever we take ourselves to be. Yes. 
But even when we take ourselves to be some form, we never cease to be the substance. Yes. The, the, the gold ornaments may identify themselves. I am a ring. I am a bangle. I am a, um, I am a necklace. But whatever form they identify and claim, <laughs> I am this, the truth is what they are is only gold and nothing but gold. So thank you, Michael. So uh, my final question is, is it worth it? So, so like you said, we can discuss between among, um, ourselves like-minded, yes. right? On this path. Yes. Um, so that, that is something good. So th that means some, some um, patterns or things existence in this universe that is good, that is on the path. So, relatively well, the, uh, speaking, ultimately, uh, okay, so, that that is by talking about these things. This is a support to us. This encourages us, and we, we sometimes by discussing with others we get more clarity, either from the words of those others or sometimes Bhagavan gives us the clarity from within. So, uh, uh, it is all these are aids, but this is not that. That is the the the. Discussing these things is useful only to the extent that it encourages us to put it into practice. But what is necessary is only the practice. All the, the thinking of, that is reading Bhagavan's teachings, thinking about them, discussing them, these are all useful to the extent to which they push us into the practice. The practice is the key. Okay, another way of asking this question would be, if I imagine myself to be the basketball, okay, I just bounced off the concrete, the, yeah. uh, okay, and then I realized I've been doing this for like eons, I've been bouncing yes. back and forth, and then I, I realized this, and, and then I, okay, I said, so this is going to be my last bounce, I just realized it, this is going to be my last bounce, is there anything special about that last bounce? Because, would or should you describe that as, as well? What is special about the last bounce? The last bounce will come about only when we have the love to cease bouncing and just to be. Okay. It is, we, the last bounce can come about only when that love uh, grows to maturity. So now we're in the process of of, of maturing, of nurturing that love. We nurture it by our effort to turn within. Our effort to turn within is supported by reading, thinking about, and discussing Bhagavan's teachings. But the real nurturing is only to the extent we turn within. Or in other words, the last bounce, the consequence of uh, Shohan's practice, he doesn't get to decide which is going to be the last bounce. Yes, yes. Well, when I mean, we give ourselves wholly to Bhagavan, it will be the last bounce. But we can right. give ourselves wholly to Bhagavan only when he gives us sufficient love. <laughs> so um, he's given us the seed. We have to play our part. We have to cooperate with him. That's why he says, Eninum guru kartiya varipadi tabaradu nadakavendam. 
nevertheless, it's necessary to follow unfailingly in the path shown by Guru. We have to play our part. Bhagavan is, is unequivocal about that. But he will do everything. We just have a we just have to cooperate. We cooperate by trying to hold on to self-attentiveness. To the extent to which we hold on to self-attentiveness, we are not in rising to interfere with the flow of his grace. His grace will do everything, but we need to we need to sink low. And we can sink low only by holding on to I. Thank you, Michael. Um yeah, you guys are not only uh, are conveying the message, the the text textual message, but also the way, the peaceful way. Well, this is Bhagavan. Bhagavan has all Bhagavan's texts are all pointing out only this way. That is why Bhagavan wrote Uludunapdu, why he wrote um, uh, Upadeshundia, why he wrote Nana, why he wrote Aranachala Aksharamrai, Patikam Ashtakam, and all of these. These are all showing us the way. And you guys it's are bringing it to life. Supremely practical texts. Thank you, Michael. Um, Thank you. Rabbi, uh, go ahead with your question, please. Rabbi Day. Hi, Michael. Namaste. Uh, so my question is, I have often wondered in Vedanta, we talk about three states, uh, waking, sleep, and deep sleep, or, or dream sleep and deep sleep. But there is also another sleep, the so-called uh, the light sleep, when you're not dreaming, and that's distinguished between, um, that's different from deep sleep. So what happens to our awareness and our ego in the light, non-dreaming sleep? If you're, if either you're asleep or you're dreaming, there's no halfway in between. If you're aware of anything other than yourself, that is a dream. If you're aware of yourself alone, that is sleep. So light sleep is also, if you're not dreaming, and if you're not awake, then you are in deep sleep, yes. in that sense. Yes, yes. Okay. Right. yes. That is oh. these, these um, neuroscientists who put uh, electrodes on your brain or scan your brain may classify different levels of sleep or whatever. That need not concern us. We are talking about our actual experience. Right. I've started wearing this Fitbit. Our actual experience has... is there are three states. In fact, yeah. but even these three states are actually only two states. Because what we take to be waking is actually just a dream. That's right. So That's there's right. only dream and sleep. Sleep is our real state. Dream is, is just an appearance. Remove the appearance and the real state remains. Then sleep is, when the name of sleep is changed from sleep to churia. Actually, it's the same state. Why, why we call it sleep? Because so long as we are dreaming, the sleep seems to be temporary. So we call it an imperfect state. If, if we know the, the reality of sleep, we will know it is eternal. We, have, we never come out of it. Right. Because we are that itself. 
that sleep, that churia, is our own real nature. We are not, never anything other than that. And right. since we are immutable, we can never come out of it. True. The real That's why the ultimate always... truth has to be a jata. But for practical purposes, we need to accept drishti shrishti vada. We need to accept, yes, I do seem to be dreaming now. So, so long as I'm dreaming, I have a problem. How to solve this problem? To know what I actually am. How to know what I actually am? I need to investigate myself. Right. When you talk about this Jik Drishya Viveka, and there the seer is the ego or the real self? Because this ego. real self only sees itself and nothing itself. else. Yes, yes, yes. So the, the, the subject, the seer, is ego. Okay. When ego sees itself, then it remains in pure awareness, which is the, the reality of the subject, tanmayin unmayai, the reality of the first person. So why do we investigate the first person? It's not to know the first person, it's to know the reality of the first person. Right. Who am I? Who actually am I? And when does, when does this realization becomes permanent? Meaning, it is it, Nittamam Mukti Nilay, Bhagavan says in, um, in verse 38 of Uludhunapadu, it's already permanent. Okay. That's... It seems to be, we seem to be in bondage because we're not looking at ourselves. Sure. If we look at ourselves, we'll see that we're eternally liberated. That's right. We are perfect as yes, is. Yes. Full and perfect. But there's no use saying we are perfect. Right. When problems come, then we don't feel so perfect, <laughs> do we? No. <laughs> Life we will continue throwing problems at us until we stop saying I am perfect and be perfect. Right. Yeah, that is the soul's struggle. Merely say I am perfect or I am not this body, I am Brahman. That's mere superficial mental activity. We cannot know Brahman by saying I am Brahman. The state in which we do not rise to say anything, that is the state in which we are that, as he says in verse 27. Bhagavan has expressed it so, so beautifully in so many ways. Very true. Very true. It's we that are not. We are the whole problem. And we are the solution to the problem. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. We have a problem because we're not looking at ourselves. If we look at ourselves, we will find we have a solution to the problem. Right. Good. Um, so uh, I think with that, we will conclude um, today's session. Um, it's a nice verse. Uh, hopefully, we uh, implement it in our practice. Not well, getting yes, unnecessary that, arguments. That is, big, <laughs> that is where we're <laughs> I all I think failing. that's the main message, right? Not getting into unnecessary yes, arguments. Don't get the ego pumped yes. up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and practice and practice more and more. Exactly, exactly. Michael, is it bad to get attached to these satsangs? Get attached to what? 
to these satsangs. It is better to be attached to Bhagavan's teachings than to be attached to anything else. <laughs> but the reason, the reason being attached to Bhagavan's teaching is beneficial is that it encourages us to turn within. But if we are just holding on to the words without turning within, then we're missing the point. The whole purpose of Bhagavan's teachings, as Bhagavan says, the, all the, all the uh, texts say that for attaining mukti, it's necessary to bring about the, the, the subjugation of the mind. When this truth is known, what's the use of going on and on reading? That is, Bhagavan isn't discouraging us studying his, his works. He's discussing, he's discouraging endless reading of more and more books. But we should focus on only the few texts, Bhagavan's original works, and, and a few other texts if we like, but mainly Bhagavan's works we should focus on. But we focus on these, not because we're going, you can never get, Brahmanyana from Uladunapadu or from Aksharamlai or from Upadeshundia. These texts show us where we can get it. We can get it only within ourselves. So these texts are beneficial because they're pointing our attention, constantly pointing our attention back at ourselves. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arana Chalaramanaya. <laughs>